0: With me as we read a portion of Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. I want to thank each of you for the kind words that you have shared. Uh, the Mexican food that we ate with the fish's head still on, intact. Uh, we did not eat the fish's head, but the fish head, but we did eat the rest of it. Amen, amen, amen. Just want to thank you, brother. It means so much to me uh, that the labor is not in vain. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. I love encouraging people. I, I believe it's the call of God on my life to help people reach their full potential in Christ. If I know you're trying to get somewhere, and if it's in Christ, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And so thank you for your, your very encouraging, uplifting words today. I do not, my wife and I, do not take them for granted. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um. In Mark chapter uh, 14, beginning in verse 4, I want to read these words. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrance of oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii a year's salary and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Why was this perfume wasted? Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for all that you've already done. We are standing in need of an encounter with you. God, we give you full permission to have your way. You are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us, O God, and shape us into the very image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask you to move that back just a little bit, sir. Thank you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, we thank you. Even those of you who are not Football fans, you have probably heard of Primetime, who now goes by the name Coach Prime. Uh, Dion Neon Sanders, the former professional football and baseball player, is front and center in the social media world. Wherever you go, people are talking about Coach Prime. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, would be the first to tell you I earned my nickname. (laughs) He played 14 years in the National Football League as a punt returner and defensive halfback. Coach Prime is called by many the best defensive halfback to ever don a National Football League uniform. Coach Prime played professional baseball for nine years and he is a two-time Super Bowl champion and a first ballot Hall of Famer in the NFL's Hall of Fame. Although his professional career ended 22 years ago, his recent, his, his recent uh, successes as a college coach has capture, captured my attention. After three years at Jacksonville University, Coach Prime felt led to leave And he was hired by Colorado University as their new head coach. Now here's where it gets interesting. Prior to the offer by the University of Colorado to Coach Prime, the Colorado Buffaloes had lost nine, had been had losing seasons. For nine consecutive years. And the director of the Department of Athletics decided that he wanted to change the trajectory of the university's football team. So he approached the directors, the board of directors of the the college who control the money. And he asked them to sign off on a $29.5, five million contract for Coach Prime. Now, what's crazy about the request is that the school didn't have the money. Nobody in the history of the school had made, over a five-year period, $29.5 million, let alone the athletic department, that was going to offer this contract having that kind of money in their budget. But here's the shocker. The board of directors, the, the, the penny count, pound counters, they signed off on signing Coach Prime unanimously. And the question to me was, how are you going to sign somebody to a contract that could cost the entire board their job potentially impact scholarships for students so that the student body is, is impacted in terms of its population. And so the ramifications, if this thing didn't go right, had tremendous serious consequences, but they all signed off. How would you ever get off somebody's contract you don't even have the money? They believed that Coach Prime was worth it. They signed off because they believed That he was worth it. Since his arrival, the entire, there was never a time when Colorado's games were sold out. Every single game for the entire season is now sold out. You could formally buy a ticket for the entire season for $222. The games now per game is $476. the the merchandise uh, that is sold in the name of Colorado's uh, football team has increased by 895%. The team has a contract with ESPN where they formerly never got, nobody knew about the Colorado Buffaloes, but if we see that they're playing, people will watch them now on national TV. The team gained millions of social media followers. Even the 76ers got on a bus to drive down to the University of Colorado to talk to Coach Prime, who don't even play basketball, about his thoughts on winning. Why would they do it? When you value something or someone greatly, you will give your most, you will give your best, you will give your all. In a recent interview, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the superstar forward for uh, the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team, he was criticized for paying a former Hall of Famer, he's still a former fa- Hall of Famer and, and world champion retired basketball Great Hakeem Olajuwon, the Dream, the Dream Olajuwon. He got he got fifty thousand dollars from Giannis, and some basketball players said, "Why would you pay another basketball player? You already uh, uh, he, he's already won twice the MVP of the league, et cetera." And so he was paying Hakeem to help him to improve his game. And Giannis responded by saying, first of all, he never asked me for $50,000. Greatness doesn't ask great for money. He said, but if he asked me for a million, I would have given him a million because he's worth it. He's worth it. I'll pay a million dollars for somebody to help me get better in a profession that I'm considered the best in. We will give our best, our most, our all when we think something is valuable. In the account before us in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, we are just days away from the crucifixion of Christ. The exchange that occurs in verses 3 through 5 raises the question that we all must answer Is he worth it? Listen to what their response was. When this woman, John chapter 12 tells us she is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, poured expensive perfume on Jesus' head and on his body, here's how the men in that room responded. And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table and a woman came having an alabaster flask, a stone, uh, a, a stone jar of very costly oil imported from India. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, but there were some who were angry, indignant among themselves. and They said, why was this fragrant wasted on Jesus? She was pointing on Jesus. She purchased it. <laughs> and she decided that he was worth it. But the brothers in the room, we're going to see who they were, said it was a waste. What you value most, you will give your best, your most, and your all to. Is he worth it? How would you answer that question? What this woman had done for Jesus in terms of this perfume that was imported all the way from India from a very rare plant was worth a year's salary. So whatever you would earn in a year, if that's $50,000, she took a $50,000 check and purchased perfume, put it in a stone alabaster flask, broke it open and poured it on Jesus. Is he worth it? Now, what you are willing to give your best to Reveals what you value most. Now, before we unpack these verses, imagine that you're in the city of Bethany, just two miles away from the holy city of Jerusalem. Jesus is at a house of a man who is identified by his condition Simon the leper. A woman enters a crowded room that includes twelve of Jesus' disciples and other guests, and she has the flask of expensive perfume that she purchased with a year's salary. She proceeds to pour out this year's salary worth of perfume on the head and demonstrates by her sacrificial. Act. how much Jesus meant to her, how much Jesus meant to her. Is he worth a year's salary? Is he worth a vacation? Is he worth something beyond what you're comfortable with? Now, everyone in this room, as I've already mentioned, they weren't cool with it. Why did you waste this? Can you imagine just... Forming those words on your lips. You wasted it. This could have been used for something more important. Who's more important than Jesus? Come on. Come on. What's more important than Jesus? These aren't just somebody who rolled out of bed. They ain't some folk from the nation of Islam. Or, these were followers of Jesus. You wasted a year's salary. By contributing to bridge the gap to get us in the middle town, is he worth it? Now, to fully appreciate the level of disrespect they were giving Jesus, we need to dig just a little deeper through our inductive Bible study methods. We pay—it's and again we're going to dig a little deeper. But isn't it interesting how we'll pay? Thousands of dollars to see Taylor Swift and Beyonce in the nosebleed section. You couldn't see her if your life depended on it. But you stood in the rain. You 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 had to protect yourself from potential snipers and 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 and, and murderers and rapists. You don't know who's out there in the crowd with you. They look crazy. And you paid a month's salary to hear who you value. Now, where they were should have caused them that were saying he wasn't worth it to think differently. They were in the city of Bethany. That's where Lazarus lived. Mary and Martha lived there. And now we see Simon the leper lived there. But Bethany was the place where Jesus performed the second greatest miracle ever performed during his lifetime. I believe this is the second. The first greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was dying. God died. God. In the beginning, he died. He died. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied himself and he died voluntarily. How does that happen with God? And he still, that's a miracle. But it would not have been a completed miracle if he hadn't got up. He said, if you destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it up again. So the greatest miracle of the New Testament is the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Second greatest miracle, and we can argue this because salvation, there's no greater miracle than the fact that the Lord saved man. But but just just for the sake of discussion, it occurred in Bethany. That was where Lazarus died. Jesus got the message. He wasn't very far. That Lazarus was, was, was was terminally ill. and They wanted Jesus. Mary and Martha pleaded for Jesus to come. Christ could have gotten there probably the same day, but he waited four days. And he told his disciples by the time they started, he says, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, oh, if he's asleep, he must be doing No, he said, here's what I mean. Duh, he's dead. He's dead. Those guys just never got it. They just, they just, like me, they just didn't get it. The miracle is this. This is what makes this the second greatest miracle. Christ waited for four days. To ride, to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Jews believed there was there was a there was a there was a belief spiritually that when you died, your soul or your spirit lingered around the body for three days, which meant that there's a possibility that the soul and the body could reconnect. Jesus waited four days. This wasn't magic, this was a miracle. And so the greatest miracle, no one has ever been dead for four days and been resurrected. So Christ went back. He went to the tomb of Lazarus, called him by name. They should have known he was worth it. He, he was not only the one who caused Lazarus to be, re, to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus said, I am. I am the resurrection And the life, I wonder if the one who's a resurrection in the life, is he worth it? Has he ever resurrected anything dead in your life? Has he ever called your name when you thought it was over? When you felt like giving up? When you didn't know where to go and, and it seemed like it was over? He caused that which was apparently dead. He called it back to life. Is he worth it? Why did you waste the oil? They, they should have known. They knew Lazarus was resurrected in Bethany. But Simon the leper, he was, it was his house. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, we learn that Simon the leper, Jesus couldn't have fellowshiped at his house if he was still a leper. Jesus had to heal him from his leprosy in order for him, because when you were a leper, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. And unless you were miraculously healed, you, that was a death sentence. And so Jesus healed Simon of his incurable disease of leprosy, which made fellowship possible. We have a disease, it's not called leprosy, but it's sin. And that same sin that caused uh, Simon to be separated and not able to attend the temple and have fellowship with God, the same sin. The the sin keeps us separated from God the Father. In order for us to have fellowship with him, Jesus, who healed Simon the leper, had to heal us. By his stripes, we're healed. We're saved from the disease of sin. Is he worth it? Is the one who saved you from your sins that separated you from God, is is he worth it? Simon... Didn't say a word. Why did you waste that? He didn't. You don't see anywhere where he opened his mouth and said, wait a minute. He's worth it. He healed me. He's worth it. I was, I, was, I was separated from God. He's worth it because I had to say clean, unclean, 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 unclean. He's worth it. Simon never said a word. Peter, James, and John were in that room. They were part of Jesus' inner circle. He had 12 disciples, but Peter, James, and John were selected by Christ to, to experience specific things and special things with him that none of the other nine were allowed. They were with him when he went to the mountain, and he was transfigured in Mark chapter 9, verse 10. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up high in the mountain where they were all alone. There was a, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes began to, became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Bleach them, a, I must have done a modern translation here. And there were, they appeared before them Elijah and Moses. In other words, Jesus took off. He, he unveiled his, his, that what was hidden because it was in the flesh. He showed them a glimpse of his glory. And the glory of who Jesus is was shining, it was blazing, and they could see it. And Peter said, Lord, I see Elijah and Moses, they to be here, but we ain't supposed to be up here. They saw him transfigured. They knew he was the God-man because when Peter said, should we bow down, make, should, we make, should we make altars for Elijah and Moses? The Bible says, then God spoke, Elijah and Moses disappeared, and he said this is my beloved son, hear you him. You would have thought, having seen Jesus transfigured, having seen a glimpse of the glory of the Lord in person as eyewitnesses, they would have said, he's worth it. They said nothing. Sometimes you can say a million words without ever opening up your mouth. Sometimes by our silence we're saying, he's not worth it. He's not worth me telling the person, please don't use the Lord's name in vain. He's not worth us saying, it was the Lord who blessed me. Sometimes we don't say, as Simon the leper could have said, he delivered me from my sickness. Anybody ever been healed? Have you been on your bed of affliction? Have you ever been in a situation where your body's racked with pain, and you and all the pills you've taken, all of the prescriptions they've given you, all of the doc, none of it took your pain away, and then Doctor Jesus showed up. The nine disciples were also in that room. They saw Jesus feed five thousand. With two loaves of bread, two fish and five loaves of bread. They saw the same Jesus walking on water, calming the sea, telling raging uh, waves and the lightning and the thunder to be still. And the waves, the elements obeyed. They saw Jesus at work. They saw Jesus deliver a man who was possessed with demons. Remember the Gadarean demonic who had, when Jesus said, who are you? The demonic man said, I am legion for I am many. And Jesus demanded that the demons come out and they were, they had no choice but to obey. Is a person that is is able to deliver someone from demonic possession, Walk on water. Calm the seas and the storms in your life. Is he he worth it? Is 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 he worth it? it? I don't know about you, but he's calmed some storms in my life. He's he's allowed me to sleep when I should have been out of my mind. He's allowed me to believe when I should have thought that it was over. He's worth it, church. He's worth it, church. He's worth it. He's worth it, church. He's worth it, church. He's worth it, church. Hallelujah. 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 He's worth it. Have your way, oh God. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Move, O Holy Spirit. Have your way. God, we speak peace even in the middle of our storms, oh God. We know that you're able. We know that you're able. You spoke in the winds and the waves. They obeyed you. You, They obeyed you. And, Father, we're praying that you would move even now. Move even now. Calm our raging seas, O God. Remove our fears, O God. You have not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love. You're worth it. You're worth it, O God. Oh, nothing shall be impossible with him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. He is worth it. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be a present help in the time of your need. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worth it? it? Eh, he's worth it. But they kept silent. They said nothing. And in their silence, they were saying, he's not worth it. Now, why did they value Christ, the men in that room, differently from the woman? Why do some people in the church have no problem giving their all their best and their most to Christ? and others, we're trying to cut a deal with Jesus. We, 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 we think we have done something great by showing up at church. (laughs) I was at church today. I I, I read my Bible. I actually found it today. (laughs) Oh, I know the Lord is pleased. We come to church because we need something to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Church is for us, not for him. Our praise is for him. Honoring him for who he is, his person and work, is for him. Is he worth it? How much is Jesus worth for you, to you? Now, I want to suggest to you why they thought he wasn't worth it, and the woman named Mary disagreed. Here's what they said. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denaro, a year's salary, and given to the poor. And they criticized. They tore her apart. How- dare you take your money and give it to the church? How dare you take your money and put it into the pastor's love offering? How dare you make a sacrificial commitment? You retire. Talk about moving the middle. How dare you go into your retirement money and and share it with the church? What? What? It ain't worth it. Here's why they thought like that. Selfish ambitions. From John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, we, we find out, That the spokesperson, the one who's doing all the talking, is none other than Judas. (laughs) But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief, that's why I was called, he's a thief. Jesus knew that the treasurer of his ministry was a thief. (laughs) As he, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was stealing from the church. And so, when he's talking about, they could have been given to the poor, what he actually said, if this had gone into the church's treasury, I could have gotten my peace. He's a thief. When we give to the Lord less than our best, our most, and our all, we're being like Judas. He had selfish ambitions, and Judas spent the Lord's money on himself. We have no problem paying for the most expensive vacation, driving the best cars, spending hundreds of dollars on our hair and manicures and pedicures, and we can't find anything to give to the church. God understands, and he knows how hard it is. You're going to get that hair done. I deserve a vacation. I work too hard. But the one who keeps the blood running warm in your vein, the one who keeps that heart pumping, the one who keeps you from going crazy, the one who keeps you breathing, he's not worth it? Judas had selfishness. This belongs to, I'm going to put this on myself. How much of what God has given you is directed to building the kingdom? How much? is the Lord really? You want to know how much the Lord is worth? The Bible says wherever your treasure is. Just look at your checkbook. I'll tell you what matters most to you. And if you are like Judas, what matters most to you is you. But the problem is when we don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he says all these things will be, you ain't happy. It doesn't give you contentment. It doesn't satisfy you. There's an emptiness about not putting God first. And so selfish ambitions. Yeah, let's give to the poor. Really? Pass it on to me, and I will take my Cancun self on vacation and send out Facebook pictures so everybody in the church will know that the Lord's money is with me paying for all these special services that I'm getting, and then we're praising God for being Judas. we we actually the Bible says I cut holes in your pockets, and when you when you get it, I blow it away. What you value most is what you will contribute to most. And so, that doesn't mean that you have to give everything. see when when the Lord, when you have the proper perspective of who Christ is, the question for you is, not how little can I give. It's going to always be how much can I give. You can't give it all, but your thought, here's a thought process. I want to give as much as I can because the more, the, the, if I gave everything I have to back it, it still wouldn't be enough. Kind of quiet up in here. Let's just go a little further. Selfish ambitions. Here's another reason why it was an issue for the brothers. Spiritual short-sightedness. Say short-sightedness it is spiritual to be concerned for the poor. That's spiritual. But it is spiritually short-sighted to place greater value on the temporal than the eternal. Jesus says, you have the poor, which you always, you always have an an opportunity to meet the needs of the poor. Physical needs come and go. But Jesus said, I ain't going to be here much longer. You don't get an opportunity, a guaranteed opportunity, to be in the presence of the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, all the time. That's eternal. We put more value on the temporal. That's short-sighted. We put all of our eggs in the basket that the Bible said everything that you see, everything that you have is passing away. But we spend all our time in the gym. We spend all of our time in the mirror. We spend all of our time in the grocery store. Make sure we get it all right. Make sure we get all medical. And then when it comes to spiritual things, we are illiterate. We don't know how to respond to the demonic attacks that are coming against our family because we are spiritually short sighted. Our emphasis is on the temporal. That's why the devil can keep us so upset and angry with all of this. False news, fake news, and craziness is going around because he knows that we we don't see beyond what our senses show us. Amen. Amen. Right now watch how Jesus contrasts their short sightedness, spiritual short sightedness, with spiritual discernment in Mark. He says, "You have poor all the time, poor with you all the time." Here's another example of the difference between the temporal and the eternal in Luke chapter. 10, when you get a chance, verses 38 through 42. Jesus is in Bethany again, and he's at the house of Mary and Martha. Martha meets Jesus at the door. She's got the greens going. She's got the cooking in the kitchen going. I bet you it's smelling smelling good up in there. Jesus has his entourage, his disciples, and his hangar owners. All of them are there, and the Bible says as soon as Jesus got there, Mary, the sister of Jesus, she sits down at the feet of Christ and starts worshiping him. Come on, come on. And Mary's just perspiring, and she's just exhausted. And she says, Jesus, would you tell my sister? She didn't, I'm going to colloquialize this. Would you tell this lazy sister of mine to come and help me in the kitchen? And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You are concerned about the temporal, but Mary has chosen the eternal. The best thing that we can do is be at the feet of Christ. But when you're spiritually suicide, you, you, don't, you don't put no real value on worship. You don't put no real value in being in the presence of the Lord. There's something when you get into the presence of the Lord and see what He is like, and He it changes you. When Moses was getting the tablets, the Ten Commandments from the Lord, the Bible said every time the Lord spoke, His countenance changed. There's something that happens when you are in the presence of the Lord. He changes you. On the inside, and when people see you, they know that there's something different about you because if any man be in Christ, the, new, the old things that are becoming new, they become new as you are in, this, in the face of the Lord yes. as you're spending time with him. Martha, Martha, you're concerned about all these temporary things, mm-hmm. but the best thing that you can do is to be in the presence of the Lord. You can't really serve the Lord until you've seen him. You gotta be in on your face in front of in, in the presence of God. So they were spiritually short sighted. They were Jesus was right there. about, why you, why you waste that money on Jesus? They got the kick, They got Jesus right there and didn't understand. If prime time had shown up, he'd come to church. This church would be packed. But Jesus is here. We are spiritually short sighted, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket because we don't recognize that what we need is not prime time. We need the prime of all time. His name is Jesus. Martha, Martha, you're concerned about so many things. He also said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and and, and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy, where is your treasure going? Why are you doing the things that you do? What are you pursuing? Are you involved in a purpose that will only last as long as you're alive? Or are you serving or doing the things that you're doing? As you said, I'm going to work the works of him who sent me. While I'll say, because the night's coming. I'm working in the works of him who sent me. Does that describe your life? That's the only thing that is fulfilling. That's the only thing that will last. Yeah. They were spiritually short. Sure. So here's another: starting with costs rather than focusing on spiritual needs. Okay, they say, "Are you serious? Three hundred dollars That's a whole year's salary?" So they they, they weren't thinking about what Mary what, what what Mary was thinking about when she anointed the head of Jesus and his body. We learned in John chapter twelve. She was remembering what Jesus taught, that he he taught them that he was heading to Jerusalem and that he was going to die. And so when she anointed his head, that was symbolic of the fact that she was acknowledging him as king. She was acknowledging his royalty. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when she washed, put the oil, the the expensive perfume on his body, she was like, not only is he king, she said, he said, he's preparing my body for burial. He is not only the king and the Lord of lords, but he is a savior who's going to die. There was was spiritual discernment in her decision to to invest that that perfume on Jesus. They had no spirit. The first thing they thought was how much is it going to cost? The quickest way to kill a vision is to focus on how much something is going to cost rather than what is the need. God will always give provision where he gives vision. The question is, is it the Lord that is giving the vision? And so what we should be asking is not how much it's going to cost, but how can we make it happen? If this is the vision, How can there's no way that we're going to be able to do everything that we need to do in Middletown. But God gave the vision. And because he gave the vision, we got one hundred thousand dollars. So he provided the provision. And that's just the beginning, y'all. But if you're focusing on a price tag, you still be walking around those shoes that hurt your feet. (laughs) You know, they hurt your feet. You You need to pay some money for those shoes. You got bad feet. You need to go buy some clothes. Those clothes don't fit you no more. But they cost too much. You, got, you need to pay the cost to be comfortable. To stop looking like you about to strangle your whole self with your clothes. <laughs> Look like you're getting ready to go into coronary <laughs> you know, cardiac arrest. The Lord didn't start with the cost. He started with the need. The Bible says while we were yet in our sins. We weren't in a position to pay anything to make it right with God. But he demonstrated his love for us by sending the best that he had, his only begotten son. His mogul gane says, nobody else like Jesus. But God said, will you go? And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll leave heaven's glory to go to earth to save the least of the sinners. You will forfeit or release your miracle based on how you value Jesus. And I'm not going to read both of these passages, but in Mark chapter six, verses one through five, Jesus goes to the hometown in Nazareth. You can forfeit your miracle or release it by how you view Jesus. When Jesus went to his hometown, the Bible said they were astonished at his teaching. They heard his reputation about being a healer and a miracle worker, and they, they didn't dispute it. But then they said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't that Pookie? Isn't that Rashida? Isn't his sister name? Yeah. That's, that's Rakesh's brother. And the Bible says they despise them because they minimize Christ. When you minimize the person, work of Christ, you block your miracle. And then the script here's how you minimize. The Bible says He could not do many miracles there. He's a miracle worker. <laughs> He's in his own town, but because they did not believe, they downsized Jesus. They devalued him. They basically said he's not worth it. He can teach. He can preach. He can form a, I don't believe it because I know where he came from. And you're going to always be to them who, who you knew when you first got saved. You're going to always be who you always were to them. And they won't see the miracle of God in your life. The miracle. He, said, he could not do many miracles there. You go to another passage, we see people who maximize the person and work of Jesus. Look at this when you get a chance, Luke chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. A Satyrian, a guard, a captain, he had a servant that he was really close to, and his servant was terminally ill. He was dying, and he heard that Jesus was in town, and so he sent some of his Uh, uh, some of his uh, other servants to Jesus. said, look, my servant is dying. Would you come to my house and and just pray over him so he can be healed? He recognized who Jesus was. He valued Jesus. He knew that if Jesus could get in in something, that that, that this man could be healed. And so as Jesus is agreeing and making his way, the, the centurion sends a message to another servant. He says, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. In fact, not only am I not worthy for you to come to my house, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. But all you need to do is speak a word. That when you value Jesus, you know all He needs to do is to speak a word over your situation. And the Bible said, Jesus said, Jesus stopped the crowd. He said, Look, stop the presses. I want everybody to understand. And all of Israel, I've never seen. This is a Gentile. This person ain't no, he's not even a believer. He don't go to church nowhere. But he recognizes who I am and what I've come to do. He said that this tea, this kind of faith I've never seen. He said, All you have to do, Jesus, is speak a word. He valued. It. He recognizes Jesus was worth it. And the scripture says as the servant was returning to the house after they had spoken to Jesus, someone came out and said, He's healed. He spoke it into existence. Jesus can, let me get something clear. Jesus can speak it into existence, not you, not me. You ain't no miracle worker. You ain't omnipotent, just foolishness. Speak it into existence. You can speak all you want, but the only person that's creating something out of nothing is God. And the last I knew, none of us are God, and he ain't trying to share his throne with none of us. Jesus spoke it into existence. I know that sounds good, and it's popular, speaking into existence. You keep on speaking. You'll stay broken, unemployed. You better get out off your backside and get a job. This table still be empty, no food. I speak uh, a full-course meal into existence. I declare it, and I decree it. I see it by faith. Okay. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can forfeit or release your miracles based on how you value Jesus. The centurion said, I know that you have the authority to speak over whatever's going on in my life. Do you believe that? Do you value Jesus like that? Whatever you're going through right now, who are you turning to and trusting? Are you like the, 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 the folks that Jesus grew up with in, in Nazareth? Let me, let me hurry on. You can grow, and I'm just going to finish with this. You can grow deeper in your relationship with Christ based on your willingness to give him your best, your all, your most. You can grow deeper. Some of us are just comfortable to be saved. Just, God, I'm in church. You're in the nosebleed section, sister or brother. You can, have, you can have a box seat. You can be right up front. The Bible says draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. But are you comfortable being distant from the Lord? You saved, you get into heaven, but all, the Bible said, but your works will be burned. You have nothing to, to lay at the feet of Christ. He ain't going to say to you, well done, good and faithful, because you weren't good and you weren't faithful. You get in by the skin of your teeth. Well, that's good enough for me. Well, I want you to know, I want to I experience heaven on earth. I don't wait wait to get, that, get to heaven and see what the heaven is like. But the best thing about heaven is not that I don't get to go to hell. The best thing about heaven is Jesus is there. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I want to see Paul. I want to see Daniel. I want to see. But when I want, when I get to heaven, I ain't want to see mom and dad. But I want to first see Jesus. you can grow deeper in your relationship with Christ as you value him more. Let me quickly go through this. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11. Paul says, but whatever whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything that I lost because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ the surpassing worth of no there's nothing more valuable that we can experience in this life than to know the son of god there's nothing just the, you get to know god the, the eternal son what a privilege the eternal worth of knowing christ my lord for whom sake i have lost all things i consider i consider everything i lost garbage that i may gain christ Spiritual maturity will cause you to understand that there's nothing more valuable than to grow in your knowledge of Christ. When you're immature, you don't understand that there's more than trains and doll babies. Give me gift card. Give me. There's so much more to the Christian life than what we are willing. You want crumbs. The Lord said you still like babes. You're doing Gerbers and and, and, and Similac. Well, not Similac. What's the uh, Gerber's and uh, what the babies eat? Similac and Gerber's? Infamil. Infamil. What's the food they eat? The Gerber's? Okay. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You're eating milk, the milk of the word, the milk of the word. There's meat. There's meat. So spiritual maturity causes you to understand that there's nothing more valuable than no Christ. Here's another thing. Salvation by faith in Christ, gives us something that we could never deserve or earn. Paul said that now I have a righteousness that I thought I could get on my own, but I have a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. When you understand that I have a righteousness, God has deposited into our bankrupt spiritual account righteousness. He looks at us as if we are as if our sins have been totally removed because they have because of what Jesus did. Let me finish with this. Supernatural power is available to those who give the Lord their most, their best. When, they, when you have a high value of Christ, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection experientially, the power that caused Jesus to get up out of the grave. Paul says, when you value and make Jesus the most important thing, the surpassing worth of Christ is my greatest desire is to know him. What the Lord will do is he, you will begin to experience as a Christian the same kind of power that Jesus spoke when he was in front of the tomb of Lazarus. He said, come forth. That kind of power is available to all of us when you make Jesus who he, when you acknowledge him for who he is and what he is. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Stand with me. Is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Salvation by faith in Christ allows us to have a righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves. There's a multimillionaire. He and his wife had one son but the son was always sickly. He had multiple illnesses, and he died at a very early age. But before he died, the husband and wife had a portrait painted of of their son. And whenever you would come into their huge mansion, you would always see, the first thing you would see would be this picture. But eventually, the multimillionaire and his wife, they both died, and they left no heirs. And so there was an executor who was responsible for auctioning off everything that this multi-million-dollar couple owned. And so the day of the auction came, and to the surprise and amazement of a, pe- a crowd was just packed wall to wall. They bring down this portrait of this sickly, frail, unattractive son that the parents had made. And they say, who wants to purchase the picture? And there was total silence in the room. And they kept, it went about five or six minutes. Who wants to purchase picture? Going once? And then finally, the maid who had taken care of the family and this young boy said, I'll buy it. She didn't have a lot of money. She said, I don't have a lot of money. She gave a very little bid. And then they said, going once, going twice. Pictures, the portrait of the son is sold to the woman. And then the man took the gavel, auctions over. Everything that was owned by this family is now the property of the maid because when you get the son, you get everything that the father owns. When you have Jesus, you have everything that belongs to God. When you recognize he is worth it, there is nothing that I could ever give that would cause him to, for me to deserve to have what is available to me through Jesus. I wonder if you're willing today to acknowledge that you were, if you were in that room in Bethany, you might have been silent too. You might have been like Judas. Why are we wasting? But having heard that message and knowing he's the resurrection, the life, the truth, do you understand he's worth it? He's worth it. Father, we love you. We thank you. When we have Jesus, we have everything. We have access to the very throne room of heaven. Now, God, take what was said today. Bless us to be obedient to the truth that you should be the priority in our lives. Everything else falls in place when we put you first. You deserve it. In Jesus' name.